0: Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to get started this morning. You know, Romans chapters 5 through 8 is really telling the story of a new exodus. It's the way the Jews often express themselves. They symbolize it in a way To speak of the hopes of the future the prophets they often spoke in a sense that one day God was going to come back he would he would bring forth his his powers and his works once again and he would liberate God's people as he had liberated them from Egypt and when we look at chapters 5 through 8, we, we see what Paul is doing. If you pay attention, the writers often did this type of thing. And, and when we think about the Exodus, one of the things we think about is the death of the firstborn, right? That was the, the tenth plague. That was the one that finally liberated the people from that enslavement from, from Egypt. Um, but it wasn't the, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, In Romans chapter 5, rather it's the firstborn of God. He's the one who died to liberate us from judgment and sin. But we also know that Israel, their time wasn't over yet, was it? Because now they needed to to pass through the Red Sea, right? They got to pass through the Red Sea in order to finally be rid of the enemy and the harm that they were trying to do to them. But when we come to Romans chapter 6, we see it's baptism that we cross through. And it, and it gives this description of how it delivers us from the enemy of death and sin, from the enemy of darkness. We read a, a portion of chapter 7 last week, chapter 7, 7 through 12, I believe is where we were. And, and, and here it, it gives an echo back to the giving of the law at Sinai. He's talking about the Ten Commandments there. And, and we know there at Sinai that God finally came down and he dwelled with God's people in the tabernacle when it was completed. And when it was time for them to move, then what happened was the Shekinah glory of God would rise up above the tabernacle and it would lead them to the promised land. There in chapter 7, he's echoing back to the giving of the law. And, and then in chapter 8, we learn of the Spirit of God. God himself comes down. But he doesn't dwell in a tabernacle, does he? He now is dwelling in his people. And, and it, it says there in, in verse 14 of chapter 8, He says that he leads us. Where is he leading us? He's leading us to the promised land of God. And right after that, he begins talking about the new creation. It's the promised land. The Spirit of God is is leading us in that way. So this is where I want us to get started. And I want us to look, first of all, at the law of the Spirit of life. Let's just read these first four verses together. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, keep that in mind, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit this is the word that we started on last week it's the word law and I told you I'm going to take two Sundays to deal with this because last week we looked at the law of Moses and we realized that the law of Moses that's not the problem was it he says the problem is the flesh In fact, just a refresher, chapter 7, verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. So we who are fleshly, and when we talk about the flesh, we're not just talking about flesh and bones. He's talking about our corruptible, rebellious nature. It's another way of saying that we're in Adam, that he actually alludes to in chapter 5. So the problem is that the law, it promised life, right? But because sin used the law as an opportunity to bring death, it it brought death to me is what he says. So what the law could not do, the law of Moses, the law of the Spirit could do in that he could give us life. There's where our problem usually lies in. The the law and the prophets pointed forward. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is an interesting text. It's actually a fascinating text. And and here he's going through this stuff, and he's saying, listen, Moses is saying, listen, you you do these things, um, you're going to be blessed if you follow God's commands. And he says, if you don't do these things, you're going to be cursed. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) Sounds a lot like what happened in Eden, because all that is very Eden language. It's intended to be that way. And so then Moses, he starts looking a little bit further forward, and he starts talking about, um, you know what, you're going to fail. It's like, wait a second, I thought you, no, you're going to fail. There's going to be exile. And he looks even further down the line to a time of renewal and restoration it's a time when God is going to circumcise our hearts. And it's going to bring about an inner transformation. The prophet spoke about this. He said, listen, let me tell you what's coming. He says, God's going to write his law on your hearts. It's not going to just be something that you have on your bookshelf, right? He says, I'm going to write it on their hearts Ezekiel says, when God pours out His Spirit in us. Here we are in Romans chapter 8, and we see that the Spirit of God has been poured out. It is for the purpose so that that we can now be able to follow God. Now, that doesn't mean that we've attained sinlessness. It just doesn't. If you look at chapter 15 even, he he talks about those who are weak in the faith. And the reason is that, Here is this old, fallen creation that we are still living in, even though Christ and the Spirit of God has made us a part of the new creation. So as long as the old and the new is together, until Christ comes and pushes out that which is old, we are always going to have this battle, this spiritual battle that's going to go on. But sin to those who are in Christ, it is a conquered reality the law continues in our fallen world it continues to condemn sin it continues to witness to Christ and while that's happening the Spirit of God has come and those who have put their faith in in Christ he says their hearts are beginning to be transformed now about this time someone says well I thought the law has been done away I thought we just, it just really doesn't matter. We've just kind of got it in our Bible because, well, we'd hate not to have it in our Bible. And, and you see people, and they point to all kinds of verses sometimes. In fact, let's just look at a couple of these in Romans. One is from chapter 6 and verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Seems very self-explanatory, doesn't it? But again you gotta understand context and what he's drawing from is what he had said back in chapter 3 he says that that our justification it doesn't come by works of the law he says it comes by faith he says that's the way it happens the law sin has used law as an opportunity or we might say Satan has used sin as an opportunity to bring about death Because of our fleshly nature. So what he's saying here is the problem isn't the law. He said this before. The law is holy, it's righteous, it's good. The problem is the flesh. And the law, if we were to try to follow it, we've said it all along, we can't do it. You cannot do it to its perfection. So no, we're not under law by way of our salvation. Now let's look at another one, chapter 10. Chapter ten and verse four. So he says, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now once again it appears. Alright, well he says it. It's ended. It, it it ceased to exist, right? It's no more. But the word law or the word end here, it comes from a Greek word that has to do with a duration of time. In fact, there's sometimes that word is translated as a word goal. It's the goal. So context is really important. If you go back to chapter 9 and verse 6, Paul begins to tell this story of the law. And he starts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promise that was given to them. He moves to the Exodus. He goes on and talks about the exile. He talks about the, the coming uh, covenant renewal that's going to happen. And he's telling a story about Israel. And what he's telling, them, telling us about is how they tried to find righteousness, seek righteousness, to become righteous by following the law. And we've already seen that doesn't work. The law was always about looking forward. It was all about the one who was to come. It was leading the readers from Abraham to the Messiah. So I want you to think of the law like, um, like a race. Uh, think, of, of, um, think of Israel as a runner in the race. And the race itself is the law. But the finish line is Christ. That's what the law was all about. The law was trying to get us to its, to its intended goal, to its time of completion. That is when Jesus finally came in order to deliver us from our sins. It's a new phase in salvation history is what is being brought here. And it's not that he's trying to do away with the law. He's finding, trying to find a way that we can follow God's commands and instructions. And he does that by giving the Holy Spirit to be able to follow and be an obedient to that which is spiritual. Because the problem is our flesh. Look at Romans 3 verse 31. All right, you better buckle up on this one. But here it is. He says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? look what he says by no means by no means on the contrary we uphold the law now Paul makes this statement right after he tells us that we are justified by faith and not by the works of the law and he anticipated those Christians or at least some of those Christians in Rome to say yeah see we don't need the law of God and so he knew that there were going to be those who want to overthrow it. And that word overthrow means cease to exist. It means, um, it means to make of no effect, nullified. Some of your translations may even say nullified there. And Paul responds, by no means. And what he uses here is the strongest, most emphatic negative that is used in the original language. And he doesn't just mean no, it means a thousand times no. It means not now, not ever. Jesus came, and we, we know we're just like, yeah, you know what? Really, it's about the Sermon on the Mount. And yeah, it is. But here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill it. I came to bring it to its completion. I came to bring it to the, to the finish line. So he says here, and well, and let me say this, the law, it may not play a part in justification. It doesn't. But that doesn't mean it's not a part of God's plan for his people. So he says there, he says, we uphold the law. And unfortunately, Paul does not go into details how that happens. And I think it may just be Paul's way of saying, you know what, you need to sit and ponder that. What does that mean now that you are filled with the Spirit of God, now that sin no longer has dominion over you, what does that mean for you to uphold the instruction of God? Now, it's true that the ceremonial laws, they, they, they are, they have been, And fully completed in Christ. Christ came and he became the one and the very last sacrifice had to be made. That's why folks out here in the courtyard, we don't have, you know, an altar and we're not offering up sacrifices, okay? Besides the fact it would just be traumatic to do that to our, you know, little lamb or something, right? But no, we don't do that kind of stuff. Jesus became the new priesthood the better priesthood he replaced the levitical one it was supposed to be part time anyway is what he said it simply was pointing pointing to jesus then they had the civil laws now the civil laws we need to understand it's just like we have laws in our country today they are intended to you know instruct us as a nation we you know there needs to be law And so they would have certain laws, and we know that God's laws are even better than just any civil laws, but but it was for Israel in the land. So they would say stuff like, don't glean the corners of your field. Because that way the poor can go and they can can reap the corners of those fields and they will not go hungry. That's a good law. Also part of that civil law was saying you can't intermarry with the Gentiles. Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble, aren't we? (laughs) My wife is intermarried with a Gentile. And probably just about everybody else here too, right? And so we look at those things and we're like, okay, uh, these are things for Israel. And many of these laws are really about setting themselves apart from paganism. The pagan nations that were around them. And so some of these things, they sound really strange. For example... Did you know there's a law that says you cannot wear a garment that's made out of two different fabrics? <laughs> that sounds crazy to us, right? But in that ancient setting, it made sense. It made sense. So, you know, we don't, you know, we don't go around stoning adulterers. Gentiles are not required to be circumcised. We don't have to bury our dead the exact same day that they died. These are all part of the law and they had good reason for them in that ancient setting. And the fact of the matter is none of us would be able to follow all of those civil laws even if we tried. But then when it comes to the moral law those things still hold. You know, it's it's still wrong to have graven images. It is wrong, and we need to take this to heart. Maybe we don't get to this enough to take the Lord's name in vain. Stealing, murder, still bad. Paul even talked about coveting in chapter 7. But if you were to take all the laws out of, out of, this, out of the law of Moses... What they count is 613 laws. Now, if you follow the story, and this is very important, you get this word story, narrative. But if you follow it, you, you notice a pattern. So God gives the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, the Ten Words. And I mean before the ink has, has dried, if you will. They're making a golden calf. God gives laws right after that. Here's some things you need to go by. In the book of Leviticus, all of a sudden, you know, we see this, we're like, well, yeah, the whole thing's about laws. But then we got this story about Nadab and Abihu, and they offered up a strange fire to the Lord. And I believe, then all of a sudden there's these laws, and I believe some of these laws are exactly pointing to exactly what happened there. So then they get to the promised land, right? They're on the edge. The Lord says, all right, it's yours. I brought you here. And they rebel. Oh, we can't do it. And so God did exactly what us fathers do sometimes. You know, we're on a trip, and we're like, don't make me turn this car around. (laughs) But that's what God did. He said, we're turning this thing around. And this generation, you're not going to have it. And guess what happens right after this? More laws. And then we just continue to see them out in the wilderness and they're, you know, murmuring and complaining. You remember the one, now of course you know how I feel about snakes, but you know the one where God sends the snakes? I'm like, they're really bad on this one. They're really bad for God to send snakes and there's the bronze pole and all this kind of, and Balaam and getting them. And guess what? More new laws. And it's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's the standard by which you live. Oh, my goodness, we've got to add more laws. Y'all, you people, you've got to get in line. Okay, no, all right, priests, that, they've got to have more laws. You people keep complaining. You rebel against me. Well, just send more laws. Because that was the intent. That was what we're, one of the things that we're supposed to see. The Old Testament, get this, the Old Testament was never intended to be a behavior manual of what is good and what is bad to make God happy. And that may surprise you. Many people think when we say the law of Moses, we just think it's just like if you go up here to the courthouse and you pull out a book and it's got all the laws of the land. No, this, the law of Moses, the whole Old Testament, it is an epic narrative. Okay, it's an epic narrative and it began with who? Adam and Eve in the garden. And one law. And they rebelled against that one law. They're exiled and so forth. And what we've discovered from the very beginning is God gives laws for us to put our trust in Him. Our faith. And the reason this epic story is shown and why we are following Israel is to show us We can't do it. Doesn't matter how many laws you keep adding on. Still not going to do it. Because we are just like Adam. That's what he says in chapter 5. Which is why we need Jesus. That's why we need him. The law, though, is holy and righteous and good. It is spiritual. Being justified by faith is not a free pass to be able to go out and live any way you want. That is not the intent. In fact, let's notice this next thing. Fulfilling the law through love. Oh boy, let's go to chapter 13. Don't know if some of y'all are ready for this, but I'm going to throw it on you. Here he goes. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, he's playing off of verse 7. Verse 7, he's just going into this thing, and he says, listen, you don't owe anybody You're in debt, right? Owe no one anything. And then he comes back, he says, except one thing. You always have a debt of love that you owe to one another. What do we say around here? We care for you. We count on you. It's not that just the simple fact that we count on you. It's the fact that that's the fulfilling of the law. You have an obligation. You have a debt that you owe. If you are in Christ, he says that's the debt we owe in our love for each other. Jesus was once asked by a teacher of the law. Oh, well, first of all, let me mention this. He, he illustrates it, doesn't he? He illustrates it with, with some of the Ten Commandments. He uses four of them. And he says, okay, adultery, murder, coveting. Uh, what was the other one up there? Stealing. And he says, you can't say that I love my neighbor if I'm doing that kind of stuff to him. Right? And, and, and that, that's the point he's trying to make. He says, this is about love. Je- this is what the commandments were about. Jesus is asked. Remember this? He's asked by uh, an expert in the law. He says, what is the greatest law? What's the greatest command? And, and most of you know it. It's love, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then what does he say? He says, this full, what is it? these two commands, these depend on the whole law and the prophets. Folks, you just take all the laws that are found in in the Bible, and you can put them under one of two categories, love for God or love for other people. Is it important for us to understand God's law and and the instruction and the wisdom that he gives us? Yeah, because it's about loving. And if you want to fulfill the law, he said this is how it happens. So all of a sudden it begs the question, though, well, if the Spirit of God has come in us, and he is transform, uh, transforming our hearts, then do we really need the Bible at all? If he's, if he's transforming us to love people and to love God, well, we've kind of answered it already, and that is we're still living in this sinful old nature of a world, and we're, even though we now have been transformed by the Spirit of God. And while the, the, the law continues to condemn and to show forth and to witness to Christ, the Spirit is not done with us. And, and here's the other thing. So we need the law to help us, to guide us in some sense, to understand what it is that God values. You ever seen two Christians have an argument over what, what is the right thing in loving somebody? Or what is really love? You know, love is, this is what you would do if you really loved this person. Another person comes in, oh, no, 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 that's the opposite of love. No, 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 that's not how you do it. So we need God. We need to understand what it is he values and what he shares with us and shows us to keep us on the straight and the narrow. Now, Romans 15, verse 4 is the last verse we're going to read as we get ready to close out. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, by the way, that's not the New Testament, it's still being written. He says, the encouragement of the scriptures give us hope. You see that? Listen, I don't believe that we're required to keep the Sabbath as they kept it. There's some debate over that. I don't believe that, that we have to keep Jewish festivals, the Jewish calendar, which, by the way, the Jewish New Year starts Friday, if you're, in case you're wondering. But here, let me tell you this. If you try to do some of those things you might be surprised in how it affects your spiritual life i know a day of rest sounds awful doesn't it it just sounds like so this is terrible (laughs) come on a day with god in these jewish festivals you might be you might be interested to learn what god shows us about jesus and about ourselves even just taking it and partaking of it in some way. You know, some people, they're, they're auditory learners, but there's some people they, they do better by touching, feeling, using the senses. You might be surprised what, what you might discover. Now, you're not going to do that because you want to be saved, you do it because it's encouraging. It, it helps you in some way. Even some of those crazier laws, they have something to share. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. He says, listen, when you build a new house, make sure that you make a parapet on the roof. Now, that's not a bird. I had to look it up. It's a wall. So these homes, they were flat roofs. They usually had a stairway going up the side. And, and they would often eat up there and they would relax on top and, and, and this, this kind of thing. So what is the wall for? What's the parapet, parapet for? It is to protect the family. It's to protect people who go up there with them and, and so forth. What's that about? It's about loving other people. It's about valuing human life. Now, I may not because everybody here, I imagine, has a pitched roof, but I doubt very seriously we're going to go home and go, we need a parapet. Some of the kids may go home and say, whatever that parapet was, I want one of those. But but yeah, we're not going to do that. But maybe if I sit there and I ponder it, I think, but what that might mean is I just need to make sure that the smoke detectors are always working right. It may mean that I I need to get a gate and put in by the stairs to make sure my children don't fall down the stairs and hurt themselves or, God forbid, be killed. So when I really ponder it, I'm trying to get at the heart of maybe what God is trying to say. Some of the craziest laws that you find, they're really based on the first two, which have to do with not having any other gods, not having idols, and so forth. So you see these things like when you get a haircut— don't shave the temples of your hair. That's why you've seen, you've seen Jewish people before, right? And you see those curls that go down. So, forth. Well, that's, this is where they get it. It's out of the law. There is there's one in there, for all you people who bother me about a beard. It says, don't shave your beard. There's one in there that says, you don't get tattoos. And look, this is the, when you really look at it, it's, it's about the paganism that was around and it's really not about getting a good haircut it's not really about having a tattoo it's not about whether you're clean shaven or whether you have a beard it has more to do with the setting so when I sit there and maybe I ponder that and wonder what is it that God may be trying to say then maybe what I need to come out of that and say you know what the way I dress what message am I sending How am I honoring God? How am I different from the world? If you're going to go get a tattoo, you probably need to think very hard about what kind of tattoo you're going to get. Because there are things that that are not good and righteous and holy. But the law is. And it's there for our good. Okay, it's there for our good. So don't worry, you don't have to sacrifice your favorite pet. But there, the law is given there for wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. And I hope that helps you. I hope, I hope you see, because I think sometimes we try to push the law away, and we say, "Oh, well, you know what? It's just all about Jesus and the apostles. Oh, believe me, it it brought it forward, right? It continued to point forward to these things. But if you'll notice, these writers of the New Testament continue to echo back, echo back to the law, because it's of God and it's spiritual. The problem is we're of the flesh and we need the Spirit of God in us. And if you're Somebody that's not, we want to help you. We want to tell you more about that. I want to take you, I'll take you right through Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. It is exciting. But you need to know where you stand because God want, He wants nothing but what is good. Read the first chapter of Genesis. He wants to give us what is good. But he wants us to trust him with his commandments. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day, and we thank you for allowing us to be here. Father, we know that we are so imperfect. We are so thankful for your Spirit who is within us and continues to guide us and lead us. Father, we're thankful that you help us to be better people, but Father, we know that, that we certainly are, are not in your debt, or you're not in our debt, But, Father, we just ask you to continue to watch over us. Continue, Father, your spirit to transform us so that we can go out into the world and be the light that you always wanted us to be and be a witness for your goodness and to show that the world, the world just doesn't have it right. So, Father, by our lives, let us be that light. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.